Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us at today's webinar on ensuring FATCA and CRS compliance. I'll pass you over to our moderator, Elaine Chow. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's webinar. My name is Elaine Chow, and I am a director at Waystone based in Hong Kong. Just a very quick intro of Waystone for those of you who may not know. Um, Waystone is a leading provider of institutional governance, risk and compliance service to the asset management industry. With over 20 years experience, we are now supporting asset managers with more than a trillion US dollars in AUM. Today, we are very happy to have two of my colleagues, Roman and Michelle, speaking with us this morning. Roman is the managing director of our regulatory compliance services, and Michelle is the associate director in our AEOI compliance group. As a lot of our attendees here might be aware, um, the Cayman Tax Information Authority recently released the Common Reporting Standard Enforcement Guidelines in March. It outlined the circumstances under which um, the financial institution could face penalties for failing um, to comply with the CRS requirements. Um, Roman, since there are few related reporting deadlines coming up, I thought it might be useful for you to share with our audience here um, just to um, give a quick recap of the key requirements and deadlines and also provide some key points of the um, CRS enforcement guidelines issued by the Cayman TIA. Roman, over to you. Thank you, Elaine, and thank you everyone for attending the, the webinar today. Um, so yeah, we um, take a look at um, FATCA and CRS. So um, as you know, they are around for, for some time. Um, FATCA, you look at identifying any U.S. investors or investors that have ties with the United States so that those investors will be re reported um, to, to the uh, U.S. exchange between Cayman and other jurisdictions um, to the U.S. then. And then we have the common reporting standard, which applies to all participating jurisdictions. So Cayman exchange then on an annual basis information about investors that invest in a Cayman vehicle with all the jurisdictions that participate uh, in the common reporting standard. So, for example, a Hong Kong tax resident that's invested in, in a Cayman fund will be reported to the Cayman authorities and then the information will be passed on to the Hong Kong authorities. Um, so... The deadline for FATCA and CS returns for the 2021 reporting filing will be July 31st, 2022. Um, please note that's a Sunday, so the authorities might issue um, a guidance that it will be actually August 1st, uh, because that's the Monday. Um, in addition, in Cayman, as you're probably all aware, we have also the CS compliance form. Um, and this compliance form was... Um, introduced in 2020. Um, the purpose of the form was really since the Cayman Islands don't have a tax system and don't have uh, many information about financial institutions, investors, and so forth, um, the OECD asked the Cayman Islands to, to collect more information. And also the Cayman Islands wanted to collect more information so they have a better tool to um, then, you know, ever target market um, target audit approach. So they have more factors that they can choose from in order to determine which entities uh, to select for an audit. And the CIS compliance form looks at a couple of different sections. First of all, it looks at um, you know information about the fund. Is the fund CIMA registered um, and so forth? So 
They can also link back then with SEMA, uh, see if all the filings with SEMA are up to date. Then they look, if you're not SEMA registered, at AML, KYC and accounting information. So who's carrying out the AML, KYC um, for that entity? Who's doing the accounting? So they have more information with respect to that. Does the entity does it themselves? So there might be a higher chance that um, or moves it higher in, in the scale of being picked for an audit. And um, the two main sections are really um, the financial account data information about non-reporting information. Uh, investors. So you have your reportable investors that are reported to the authorities, and then you have the ones that are not reported to the authorities. But now the CIS compliance form captures those investors. You don't have to list them uh, individually, but you have to provide the number, the aggregate number of each bucket. So you have a bucket for US FAT, uh, for US person, you have a bucket for um, FIs, um, so you have four different buckets and you have to classify your non-reportable investors in those and also provide the aggregate NAV that is allocated to those buckets. So then the authorities have an idea what the total NAV is of the entity, um, what portion uh, belongs to the reportable investors, and then what is allocated to the non-reportable investors. So they have a better idea, a better metrics of which to pick, which entity to pick for an audit. And last but not least, you have the written CRS policies and procedures. So these are entity level policies and procedures, not your administrator's policies and procedures. It must be specific to the entity. Um, it has to lay out who at the entity is responsible for reviewing the information, for making the filings and so forth. So it's really entity specific. And the deadline for that filing is September 15th of 2022. Um, and maybe the last point important on this slide. So the CIS compliance form should really show the other participating jurisdictions that um, the Cayman Islands take it seriously, the introduction of, of CRS. And now when we look at the um, enforcement guidelines, that's the next step to not only say we are introducing these um, um, the, the, the common reporting standard, but we also have measures in place to enforce it. If you can go to the next slide, please. Um, so there are some highlights of the CRS enforcement guidelines. They were issued March 31st of this year. Um, so they were issued by the authorities for, um, and also laid out the process for how they take actions um, under the enforcement guidelines and also for the first time the penalties. Uh, that are related to this enforcement. So before, if someone would ask us um, what are the potential penalties, we could say, you know, the maximum amount is this, but we could not really say um, if you miss a filing, the penalty will be this. If you don't have written policies and procedures, it will be that. So this is now clearly uh, defined with the issuance of this enforcement guidelines. And the core objective of these enforcement guidelines is how the authority can monitor compliance and then also enforce the correct application by the market participants um, of the common reporting standard. So that later on, when there's a review um, by the OECD and other participating jurisdictions, uh, Cayman can demonstrate that they have not only implemented the common reporting standard and the reporting, but also measures to enforce it and also penalties if there's any non-compliance by any market participants. Um, 
So that's an important tool that uh, that they implement here with the enforcement guidelines. We we'll go to the next slide, please. And here are some examples and uh, type of risk that the authority um, consider when they are doing their compliance checks. And it's really important for you to know also what they look at um, so that you can determine um, have you checked all these things off or has your you know, the counterparty that you work with, such as Waystone, um, considered these issues. So maybe we pick a few. So incorrect submission of undocumented accounts. Um, undocumented accounts is just a specific set of pre-existing investors. Uh, so you need to ensure that um, for new investors, you collected all the data and reported them to the um, participating jurisdiction. Um, we have seen some clients that came to us because they got notices from the authorities uh, because the PPOC was missing or the authorizing person. So that will be now also an offense under the enforcement guidelines. So you need to ensure that all your accounts are correctly set up. Um, incorrect entity classification. That relates also to investment managers, um, investment advisors, but really everyone. Um, you need to be able to demonstrate why you chose a certain classification and why the entity was registered in that way on the portal. So it's really important to, to document um, and to know the classification of the entities. Failure to register with the portal. Um, again, we, we got some clients that ask, um, yeah, we got this notice, our general partner is not registered, is not invested in the fund, what should we do? Well. While it's not reporting on an annual basis, the authorities want to capture the universe of all the entities, of the fund entities. And the general partner is really um, conducting the business on behalf of the fund, so it needs to be registered. And with all the other bits and pieces, um, we talked about the SEMA number will be captured and, and other details. So the Cayman Islands will create a framework that will allow them that different authorities can talk to each other that SEMA and TIA can talk to each other. And so they, um, it will be easier for them to find out uh, which entity should have registered and failed or um, which classification they should have picked. Then the next to the failure to submit a CS, a declaration or compliance form. So that's an easy one to, to spot for them uh, because those two um, filings should be made by everyone. So you have to ensure that you completed those before the deadline, because otherwise, and we will see it later, an automatic uh, penalty will apply, like in many other jurisdictions. So um, Luxembourg Island, there are also automatic penalties if you miss, miss a filing. And then the last two is really um, incorrect reporting or failing to report um, a, a reportable account. So you have to ensure that all the the uh, accounts that are reportable are really um, included in the return, or you know, if you have different returns to different jurisdictions, you have to make sure that all of them are filed. And then on top is the filing declaration. And um, as we have seen in the past, the authorities are now also asking for tax identification numbers and date of birth to be, um, you know provided in these returns, you have to collect them. Sometimes the account holder uh, forgets them to provide or you know they are not on the self-certification. So you have to go back to the individuals and ask them for their details. 
because it's an essential part of your return and it cannot be missed. So these were just a, a couple of examples. And now if we go to the next slides, um, this is really a snapshot from the enforcement guidelines. You see here, um, it's, it's a quite extensive list. Um, as I said before, we had, uh, before I could not tell you really what would be the penalty if you missed the filing. But if you look at this, if you start at the beginning, now I can tell you, if you don't have written policies and procedures for your entity, the penalty can go up to 7,500 Cayman dollars. So remember, all these numbers are in Cayman dollars, and the Cayman dollar is roughly 20% more than US dollars. So you're looking at roughly 10, more than 10,000 US dollar penalty. And you will really see the first um, the first couple of items are really um, the items that you have in a CRS compliance form where you certify on an annual basis that you have established and maintained written policies and procedures, you implemented and complied with them. Um, so you have to go back and see if you update them because now you have the enforcement guidelines, uh, you have different jurisdictions, uh, make sure that your board approves it. Because later on, if the authorities will ask, then um, penalties can be assessed for each of these offenses. Um, another one would be, um, and this is <laughs> this is uh, uh, quite high, uh, the failure to register on the DITC portal by the notification deadline, which is April 30th, is 37,500. So that's quite high. Um, so if you set up new entities, um, make sure you register them so you have them already uh, on the portal and don't miss it next year um, if it's a new entity and hopefully all your entities are registered uh, already that were in existence in 2021. Um, or another one, yeah, you see also what we just discussed before, um, if you haven't provided the PPOC or the authorized person, each of them are a separate offense, um, can carry up to 10,000 um, dollars and then um, what we touched on before if you fail to submit a CRS return or, or if you fail to make a declaration it can go up to to ten thousand um, Cayman dollars so it's it's quite a number of offenses and so it's really important to analyze them and to understand what you have to look at in order to be in compliance with CRS because now we have this detailed catalog of offenses. Um, and we know what the authorities are looking for. Um, so we need to keep that in mind if intrusion can view the investors. So we have to see that all the, the dates, um, the birth dates and the place of birth are there. Um, and also then uh, keep in mind that all returns have to be filed by the deadline. Otherwise, we could be subject to, uh, to penalties. If we go to the next slide, please. Okay, and this is just um, a little overview. So the authorities, um, it's called this primary penalty. Uh, the primary penalty can go up to 50,000 uh, Cayman dollar, and they cannot impose this, this penalty more than a year after they becoming aware of the offense. Um, and there's then also um, a limitation of uh, when they can assess the penalties. So it's one year after becoming aware of the offense or six year after this offense happened. Please note also there, there are this 
um, offense catalog that we just saw uh, with the uh, with the penalties for different offenses, but there's also a continuing penalty of a hundred Cayman dollars per day. Um, this offense is outstanding, so that can ramp up if if you don't know about it um, or didn't identify it or address it. Uh, so a hundred dollars a day could be added to the penalty. Okay. Thanks, Roman. I think this was, this was really helpful to know about the uh, enforcement guidelines. Um, we actually we also got some fund, fund some uh, some fund managers asking about the update on the DITC portal and also um, the deactivation function. Um, Michelle, over to you. Perhaps you can just um, give us a quick update on that. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I guess over the years, a lot of people. Um, having questions regarding to the FI deactivation functions in the DITC portal. Um, in the beginning of the year, the DITC portal now has the functionality to deactivate a financial institution, which we usually rephrase it as a FI, from the DITC portal, where the entity has ceased to exist or is otherwise no longer considered as a KEMA reporting FI. Um, to deactivate an FI from the DITC portal, um, our reporting obligation must be complete before the principal point of contact, we which, which, which we call it as a PPOC, to submit a deactivation request. Um, this obligation includes a CRS return, um, the CRS filing declaration, and the CRS compliance form for each year of the FI, which had reporting obligations. Um, in order to submit the uh, the activation function, evidence of the solution um, is important and is mandatory to submit for each returns. Um, so, if you have uh, the most commonly known will be the certificate of the solution or the strike off. Um, if you are dealing with a trust, then a trustee that clearly indicate the FI name and the date of terminations. Um, or if you are dealing with a segregate portfolio, then um, for the deactivation request, you should upload the director resolution to terminate the sale of an SPC. Um, it is very important for the retention of the information as well. So when submitting an FI deactivation request, the PPOC is required to indicate the contact information of the person who will retain the FI request for a period of six years following the date of the deactivation from the ITC portal. Um, it is required as per the uh, CRS regulations and is very important to ensure the tax information authority that is able to perform the monitoring function and to respond to the requests from the jurisdiction to which the CRS data has been exchanged over the years. Um, next slide, please. Okay, it is also important to remind you guys about a little bit updates for the 2021 CRS reporting jurisdictions. Um, reporting financial institution must report to the DITC portal for all the reportable tax residents. Um, the commonly well-known reportable jurisdiction in Asia will be, for example, um, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, or UK extraction. An updated list of the CRS reportable jurisdiction has been published in the Cayman Island Gazette, which issued on the uh, January 31st, 2022. Um, a little bit updates, for example, uh, Jamaica, Kenya, and Morocco has already been added as a reportable jurisdiction for the 2021 reporting period, uh, which the report will be due in 2022, um, 
Meanwhile, Kuwait has been removed from the list of the reportable jurisdictions. Uh, just a friendly reminder, it is always recommend to check the updated CRS reportable jurisdiction before proceed to any CRS filing. All right, back to you, Elaine. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle and Roman, for sharing all this um, useful information. Um, our AEOI compliance group is dedicated and experienced in AEOI matters, and we can provide bespoke solutions of the AEOI service, um, including all the items on this slide. Um, besides the annual report filings, we can actually um, provide a wide range of service depending on your need, just to ensure compliance of your entities with the AEOI um, obligations. Um, we can actually cover more than 26 reportable jurisdictions, but not, but, not, but not only limited to Cayman. Um, Roman, perhaps would you want to, uh, would you also want to provide um, a bit more uh, details of our AEOI service offerings here? Yes, sure. So like you said, um, we help funds in over 20 jurisdictions. So we help also Hong Kong-based funds, Singapore-based funds, um, but also Cayman-based funds. And a lot of uh, the investment managers on this call have uh, probably also Cayman entities. And we can really customize a solution that fits your needs. Uh, so we can help with policies and procedures, but we can also uh, offer you the turnkey solution where we interact with the administrator and take care of all the filings. We are the principal point of contact, uh, the responsible officer for the entity, um, and we have also automated reporting uh, to the Cayman Authority, which uh, makes it nice that no one has to sit there and key things in. Uh, we can also provide a gap analysis. So um, if you have done things in-house, or um, if you have a provider, but you're not sure with certain things, we can come in, help you to review, uh, point out areas where uh, things might need to be documented, obtained, um, or, or whatever the case may be. So it's really, um, if you have questions, please feel free to, to message us um, and uh, we can work something out for you. Yeah, I think we are almost running out of time. Um, so if, as Roman said, if you have any questions on the AUI matters, feel free to reach out to any of us at Waystone, and we are more than happy to talk to you. Thanks everyone for joining us today, and I hope you all find the webinar useful. Wish you all a very good day. Thank you. Thank you, have a great day. Thank you.